0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. This is a podcast where John Tigatowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt, discuss one of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible, bringing three different perspectives from three different generations. This week, or I guess not this week, well, we already dropped one this week, and John's still gone. I'm tired. It's 6 a.m., so I'm going to stumble through my words. But we're doing the uh, Gender Roles in Marriage podcast today. And so we got Nicole and Jill. I'm not even going to do the last names. I, the, the Joe,
1: name Kyle, show. And I did see John yesterday and he said that his marriage is going great so far.
2: Oh, yes. that's such good news. I'm one week down. Good.
0: <laughs> I was worried that it wasn't going to be going well this <laughs> soon. So I'm glad to hear um, that it's going very well. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about gender roles in marriage. Our last podcast, we talked about gender roles in the church, and then we have one podcast that's called What Are Gender Roles? That is not as good as the last podcast, it's like time.
2: opening a can of worms.
0: Yes, that's what it was. We and now we like take the worms and we <laughs> put them into the little groups, and one of the groups is in the church, and one of the groups is in marriage, and this is. An in marriage one i don't know much about this and so we can just we can just get started because when i think about marriage like my parents did not have a great marriage growing up and i think a lot of young people grew up in pretty pretty crappy houses i the divorce rate is over 50 percent in america i think um So it's like, I think, I think that this is like a touchy subject for a lot of young people because Mm -hmm. marriage is very confusing. So I think that it's really good. I think it is important
1: to point out too that um, among couples who have a religious faith and attend church twice a month, the divorce rate is in the thirties somewhere. I think it's in the low thirties. So there's a significant, so if you just say I'm a Christian or I'm religious or something and you don't do anything about it then your divorce rates just look like everybody else's. In fact, it's a little higher, some people think, because you think there's a God out there that's just going to forgive you for whatever you do because you have a really dumb view of Christianity. And so you're like, well, if I blow up my marriage and destroy everybody's lives, God will forgive me and they should forgive me too. But if you actually go to church twice a month or more, it drops precipitously. So there's
0: cool. All right, right out the gate, bringing the heat. So I will just start by asking the first question. Um, in the last podcast, we kind of talked about um, complementarianism, egalitarianism, traditionalism and patriarchy. And so first question that I have is what do uh, patriarchy, traditionalism, complementarianism, egalitarianism and feminism look like in marriage? Because um, when we're connecting marriage with gender roles, I think people everybody has like a different viewpoint on who, you know, you like who brings home the bacon, who gets to who stays at home with the kids, all that stuff is like very controversial. If does anybody stay home with the kids, do you send your kids to daycare? And I feel like this question might have to do with that. Maybe it has nothing to do with that, but what 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 those those five different ways of looking at gender roles, how do they play their part in marriage and So then we can kind of break it down from like each viewpoint. Do you know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anybody can. Yeah,
3: I'll jump in first to say something that's going to be like maybe unhelpful and then someone else can clean up the mess. Um, I think that in terms of roles between a husband and wife, I don't know that they're quite as neatly delineated by these different categories. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that you could have roles that look similar across these different categories. I think some of it is still the perspective of, like, is everything for the husband and father, or is everything done for the wife versus... Because I think you can have, um, a, like, a home that maybe subscribes to traditionalism and, or, and a home that subscribes to complementarity that look pretty similar. Similarly, I think you could have a home that subscribes to complementarity and one that subscribes to um, egalitarian, uh, and that also look pretty similar. So that's my opinion. Now someone else can talk more. I think the different perspectives
2: are all trying to solve, whether they know that or not, the tension between the genders. Like, how do Like, if there's this tension that exists or conflict that exists between the genders, then what do they're each trying to say what the genders are for in different ways. Um, So, yeah, I think you're right, Nicole. Like, it might look similar, but there there will be different perspectives or viewpoints on what each gender is for. Yeah. More so than this is exactly what it looks like.
1: Yeah, one of the things, so I, we talk about this in pre counseling with couples, because roles, role confusion and conflict over roles is one of the top 10 things that break up relationships um, relative to self-reporting of couples that break up. And so one of the things I, I tell people is, because a lot of them go to high point, and a lot of them are already something like a complementarian, and I tell them, you know, that this doesn't help you, right? Because complementarianism isn't going to tell you exactly what to do. You still have to choose so if so i I use a six like a six part schema for like what how the genders can react patriarchy traditionalism i separate those two i think they're different um complementarianism egalitarianism feminism and what i just call non-genderism or the belief that like you gender is just a construct that we made up which is empirically scientifically false it's a terrible idea that but so is patriarchy um when patriarchy is defined as things are done for the sake of the man so a complementarian, I've seen complementarian people who who say that they believe that men and women reflect different truths about God and are created to be complementary to each other, who exa- who essentially live a, fem- like, feminism is essentially the de- what determines what they do, right? And I've seen people who are very traditional who are complementarian. I've seen a lot of things in between. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just, I think that complementary is just the belief that men and women are complementary and that there, and it usually involves some. I think it should it should involve some distinction between roles, but not very many. Traditionalism is the idea that this the spheres of men and women are defined and finite. It's like the it's like the um, the laws of of um, of beauty and legally blonde, right? Like or, like, like this is like like the laws of hair care, t- defined and finite, you know. It, Like, like there's a, there's a sphere of the man and there's a sphere of the woman and the two are different and they don't cross paths. And that works pretty well. If you have a tradition in the broader society that everybody else is going along with, it allows men to live with men and women to live with women in their spheres, supporting each other. And there are certain benefits that come from a wide distinction between the sexes where men are mainly hanging out with and working with men and women are mainly working out and hanging out and working with women. (laughs) Right. Like all the things like like one of the things that makes the divorce rate as high as it it is, is that men and women work together in the same workplace Mm -hmm. doing similar jobs. It's just bound to create those problems in certain percentages, at least. Right. So traditionalism has very distinct advantages. Um, But what happens if you're a woman and you don't like what women are traditionally supposed to do or if you're a man? Right. So there are there's the the exception problems. Right. Yeah. So anyway, there's lots of options there. So, yeah, I think you're right. I'm just all that to say, Nicole, I think you're right.
3: Oh, thanks so much.
0: Okay.
2: I would, would feminism and non, I mean, feminism and non-genderism though, wouldn't think there should be gender roles, especially, and maybe egalitarianism. Is that right? Uh,
1: Um, Feminism is so broad. It's hard to say.
2: But there are some on the spectrum that I think would have a problem with the idea of gender roles, whether or not there are some that exist,
3: but i think in each marriage you're going to find yourself sorting into different roles whether or not you think Mm it's because they're gendered prescriptive prescriptively gendered or because they're just what you guys each chose to do Mm -hmm.
1: yes yeah however I, i do think it's important to say that there are certain biological realities that are distributionally very common so for example Very, 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 very few men are profoundly interested in their children under two years of age. Mm -hmm. Um, Generally speaking, because of wombs and nursing, women are more profoundly bound to their children and their care in the first couple of years of their life, for example. Um, It is much more common for a woman to say that getting married and having children is an important part of the future she wants for herself. A lot of men just don't think about having children at all. It happened; they get married, and then their wife wants children, so they have some because they want their wife to be happy. And then after they have children, they're like, "Oh, look at these children!" You know. Yeah. So there, there are thing things like that. Like, very like the in the 60s, there were some there were some feminists who really thought we could get to parity between men and women, like men staying home and women staying home or whatever.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Complete. Mis- I think it's a complete misunderstanding of how masculine how men experience masculinity and women experience femininity it's just it's just biologically a false reality even yeah. though there's some overlap there's a lot of women who love working and they don't want to stay with their kid, home, home with their kids all the time mm-hmm. but if you just look at women who go to work and men who go to work men do not su- suffer guilt or like the same kind of feelings yeah. of like they're letting their kids down or that they're not bonded with their kids that yeah. women who are full time struggle with even if they successfully do so and enjoy their work a lot yeah so um But but that's true about in a lot of ways. Women also just don't do jobs that tend to bring home the bacon for a whole family. Women women just disproportionately in very large percentages do jobs that they enjoy doing and like. Men disproportionately do jobs that they hate and um, bring home the bacon if and only if there isn't another option and they are appreciated for it, usually. So, like, if the government is going to pay for your children, like, guys will just play basketball all day and hook up with hoes, as they say. But, like, if – but, like, back in the day when, like, there weren't there weren't these kinds of programs very much and, like, somebody had to go out and, like, literally labor in the field, men would do it if they knew they were taking care of their children and their spouse and they were respected for it, right? The, the loss of male respect, which it has been a side effect – not the intention of modern feminism, but it has been a side effect – of the function of feminism has broken that down a lot, which is which has led to a great increase in divorce. Obviously, there have been negative things that have happened to women in all of this too. I'm, I'm just discussing the one side right now.
0: Okay. So anyway,
1: I'm saying all these things are not interchangeable. So yes, there is interchangeability in your choices to a certain extent, as Nicole has said, but the nature of maleness and femaleness makes it so it is not arbitrary and not sheer preference. That's all I'm saying.
3: I have a quick question, Andy, before you move on. Nick, you, in multiple, like in... In conversations we've had, I think in other podcasts, you've talked about this too. There was a study where, I don't know, was it Sweden or somewhere in Scandinavia that had a lot of like freedoms and opportunities for equality and gender. Jordan
1: Peterson is the person who has made those studies famous. But yes. Do
3: you know if they're included in those studies is anything about like the rate at which a parent stays home? Like, do more women stay home with their children in those places as well? I've never heard anything about that. I've heard about like women choose jobs that tend to be associated with women and men men choose jobs that tend to be associated with men. I haven't ever heard anything about rates in like parenting and who's the primary caregiver and those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, part of it is that the jobs – so in, in different studies on the jobs women choose and why, uh, women tend to choose jobs that have the flexibility built into them for the role of motherhood. And also because they plan on leaving the workforce for a little while. So, for example, when, like when women have been asked in the past, why aren't you, why aren't you being a programmer? Why are you being a nurse? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the answers were, well, because I'm going to leave the workforce for five years. And if I'm a programmer, I'm going to come back and there may be a totally different computer language when I get back. Whereas if I'm a nurse, those skills are like they're very stable. So uh-huh. if, I, if I leave the workforce for like five years, I can come back. And turns out programming isn't particularly helpful in raising children, but nursing is. So I'm killing two birds with one stone. I'm I'm getting a job that I can leave the workforce and come back and one that's useful in raising a family. So I'm, that's why I'm a nurse. Sure. Plus women would rather in large percentages would rather work with living things than non-living things. And that's okay. just, just all the way across the board. That's just true about women.
2: Andy. Um, so this might go into what you're going to go into next, but I think it's easy to talk about like what men and women tend to do. And I do think that's helpful, uh-huh. but I think the bottom line is, especially if you haven't seen that before, or if like, you just don't, you have, you're coming from a belief or you just don't believe that, like that it has to be, um, either men or women doing this, or that you don't fit in the norm. I think we need to talk also about like why you would choose that, or you choose certain things, um, with your gender, like according to your gender, you would choose to do certain things. Um, Like why you would do that if you don't if you don't tend toward that naturally?
0: Yeah i i was gonna I was gonna say like I think we like jumped out on like I I think we need to we need to take it back a step. (laughs) We need to tone it down. (laughs) And and I I have no clue like what you guys kind of just talking about. (laughs) So uh, I kind of just sat there and like let it go. But let's just take it back a little bit to the beginning. And let's start from point, like from, from number one and why, okay. What do you guys believe gender roles in marriage should look like? Mm -hmm. And why should they look that way? Call it what you want. Call it complementarianism, traditionalism, yippity yappity, whatever, (laughs) call it what you want, but break it down. Why do we, why, why are, are gender roles in marriage even a thing? Does in, in scripture, Mm -hmm. if they are, what do you think that they are supposed to look like in scripture? And then why?
3: Great. Um, I think that a lot of Christian marriages find their foundation for this in Ephesians 5. Um, it's, there's a beginning of the section where Paul talks about Christians submitting to one another, and then he gives a few examples of how Christians are to submit to each other. And the first example that he talks through is about wives submitting to their husbands. Um, and then he goes on to also talk about husbands giving themselves up for their wives as Christ did for the church and presenting her as a clean, white, pure, something like that.
1: Yeah, right. clean, spotless.
3: And mm-hmm. spotless. Um which, I I mean, like even in that, there are, I think, misunderstandings of what that looks like. But anyway, I think this relationship between wives sub- choosing to submit to their husbands and then husbands sacrificially caring for the wife. But then there's a little bit of nuance to that too.
0: Well, yeah, we need to break that down more because I, I think about myself. If I, if I was a girl and I read that mm-hmm. – I would be so pissed. I'd be like, I'm not going to submit to anybody. And what is – submission is bad to me. Like when I think of submission, I think bad. Never submit.
1: You think of wrestling or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, in wrestling or or in sports. Like you never submit. It's almost like a sign of weakness and and failure. Do you
3: remember the first time you ever heard that passage as a woman and what your reaction to it was? Yeah,
2: I – I, yeah, I feel like I'm coming at this like a little bit backwards because like I hear that pa- passage and it just doesn't really make sense to me. Not like I shouldn't submit, but like, why why am I doing that? What does it even mean to do that? Um, and so I, I have felt like unclear and foggy. Like when people have quoted that passage at me, it doesn't help, for example, or it hasn't helped it hasn't helped clear the air of what it looks like in specific moments. And that's not because it can't help with those things. Um, but I think I've had to go back further and, and think through how men and women were created, um, and what we were created for. Like specifically as a woman, I, I didn't want to have kids for, I mean, I, I knew I should have kids, But I didn't have that natural desire to have kids because of all these other things that I had experienced and seen, it felt that kids would ruin my life and that I would, it would be terrible. It felt like it would be terrible. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I had to say like, well, you're supposed to submit to your husband and like, that's part of that and having like, you should take care. that." That doesn't help me or motivate me to have children.
0: Uh, yeah, that would be that so makes- terrible. Yeah, if yeah. if if you were just like, I don't want to have kids, and then and then the church people are like, Oh no, know, you like, need to submit to your husband. i said like, Okay,
1: yeah. no, and, like, I'm not I, doing- that, that. That happens. Like
0: that happens all the
1: time. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I did want, like, I did believe all the things, like the, I believe the same passage. I believe Ephesians five, but it didn't motivate me or make it feel like it was good. And so it's been more helpful for me to see. The picture, which is reflected in Ephesians 5, but to see the picture of God made women this specific way to bear children. And in the relationship with man as the authority, the authority is providing for the woman and the woman is receiving from the authority. That's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. Um, and that creates fruitfulness. That's the result. And so um, the purpose is to be fruitful. <laughs> um, so th- there's more wrapped up in the like grander, beautiful vision that God has intended that then authority and submission and those commands in Ephesians 5 make possible to live out. Because now that we're, we're, we're under the curse mm-hmm. and we sin, we don't naturally embody that um, relationship and that purpose that God has made for us. And so these commands are to help us embody that.
3: Mhm.
2: And so uh, that's helped me see like it's not just this like you should do this um figure it out. <laughs> I mean it is kind of a figure it out situation, but I that didn't help me want to do it or see that it was good.
3: I wonder if for different women and their different experiences there are different pieces to embracing gender that are going to be challenging cuz like I always wanted a million children that wasn't the part of, mm. of embracing gender roles that was yeah. difficult for me. The part that was difficult for me is that I also very much wanted to be in charge. And so the passages that spoke- So
1: surprising.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As I'm sure it's a shock to everyone here. So um, I wonder if that, play- like, I mean, that would make sense to me if that plays a role for different women that like for you- Reading or hearing from Ephesians 5 maybe wasn't as jarring to you as to me the first time I heard it because I was like, What? I can't call all the shots here.
1: Yeah, I I think one of the things that is important to recognize here is is that Ephesians 5 gives a theological meaning to marriage in relationship to the gospel and it gives you a sense of dynamic between the husband and the wife to a certain extent, but it doesn't tell you about men and women.
2: Right, Mm -hmm. right. And so
1: I think that's what Jill is saying. She's like, To to try to figure out why this would be the case, because one is a man and one is a woman. I had to go somewhere else to find out what that means. It sounded like you went to Genesis one, two, and three. Yeah. Which I think is correct. Right. I remember my wife, when my wife was writing on this stuff, when she was doing seminary classes, she was writing on gender roles and she, she said um, she went through all the passages in the Bible, which I mean, there's not that many, but she went through and she said it, in her view, it all comes back to Genesis mm-hmm. two and three, what what you think happens there. Mm-hmm. And if you think that there's something said there about the difference between men and women, then you will be a complementarian, no matter how you read the rest of the passages of the Bible. If you believe that the differences between men and women and the hierarchies between them are the result of the fall. That is the result of the entrance of sin. Then you will believe that redemption should undo them
0: mm-hmm.
1: rather than make them Dude. Oh.
2: yeah,
1: right. And so, generally speaking, egalitarians will say there was no hierarchy in the garden. The hierarchy begins when sin enters, and God says to the woman, "You know, you your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you." That is a negative statement. Then he says to Cain about his sin, "Your sin desires to have you, but you must rule over it." That that in, that's inherent conflict in that language. And then in Genesis four, you know, five and six, it all just like blows up. Sin just blows up, and it includes. Conflict and injustice between men and women, the first thing Lamech does besides engage in revenge is take a second wife, because why not? He's tough, right? And so that's the that's the narrative, and so it, de- it depends on how you see it. And obviously, complementarians believe that Genesis 2 signifies the differences between men and women, and that those go awry in chapter 3. Egalitarians tend to think that there is no difference in chapter 2, and that in chapter 3, they begin. Mm-hmm.
0: So this this starts to make make more sense to me cuz I had an issue with this like a year ago when I talked about like the walking out at the church in the last podcast cuz there's a woman passed I was like I'm done with this crap and I, I went home and I started reading the Bible and stuff and and I'm like okay this is like whatever and so then I called Vince and I was like Vince dude and I told him that, what I thought and he was and and Well, first, he was like, You need to stay true to your convictions. So, like, do what you believe that God is telling you to do. But he told me that viewpoint of, like, you're that in Genesis 2 or wherever we're trying to undo that. And I hated that. And I still hate it to this day because it doesn't make any sense to me. Why? uh, What? It, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. So I wonder why. Okay. So I think you guys this, probably.
1: This person that some of our listeners may know about is an egalitarian. Right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. His, his yeah. Church and, mm-hmm. and uh, So, so why do you believe? So I, I assume everybody here doesn't believe that they're not egalitarian. You guys are complimentary. And we discussed that already. Mm-hmm. Why is that Genesis two passage? Why does it, why do you think that it's not talking about the undoing of women wanting to rule over men and uh, just like perfect you know harmony it's whatever.
1: because there are like eight signifiers in Genesis 2 that there's a distinction between men and women like it's not it's not subtle <laughs> like there are there's like you can work if you can work through the whole passage in Genesis 2 and there are, there are ma- there's not like one there are many signifiers Mm -hmm. of um, God giving the brunt of the responsibility for the creation mandate to the man, not for him to do alone, but for him to take responsibility for it. Like one of the things I found in 20 something years of pastoral ministry is the majority of women are not suffering and languishing under husbands who are domineering them. That happens. There are definitely abusive men and there are definitely abusive men whose wives need support. But what most women struggle with is husbands who are irresponsible, who don't take responsibility for the things in the life of their family, and the women don't want to do everything, right? One of the things that's, like, really frustrating about single motherhood is the woman has to do everything, right? And that's not supposed to be the case. And part of, I think, the way God set this up is he demands that men take responsibility for things, and I think that that's partly because procreation, like b- fertility, makes it difficult for women to have hyper-focus in taking responsibility for a large, a number of the larger items of the family's life. Because having a child makes you vulnerable and divides your interests, right? Just like it says in First Corinthians 7, it says, listen, um, if you need to get married, get married. But it's great to be single because you can spend all your time serving the Lord. The person who's married, their interests are divided. That may not want to get married for a long time. It made marriage seem like a failure, right? But within marriage, it's sort of similar, right? Like you've got more than, if you're a woman, you just have more than one thing going on. If you have children and that just, it divides your life up. And for you to be responsible for everything is not fun Like it's, it's oppressive. And so, and one of the great, the besetting sins of men is an abdication of responsibility for their wife for their children, for their responsibilities, for their vocation, and so I think it's I think it's the wisdom of God to do that and to demand that of men, and then women are there as their helper without which they can't succeed. Like there is a great complementarity and joy given to all of that. But if you say whose responsibility is this, and this is also true in management, you never ever want something that has to be done to people's responsibility. It's just a really bad human principle.
3: Just watch The Office and you'll learn that. Yeah. Do Michael uh, Scott and Jim really need to be both co-managers?
1: No. They don't. I'm assuming the answer. Yeah. The answer so, yeah, I, so I think if, if there, there, I mean, I have a couple papers where I've written this for, for the church and stuff, but like there are, there's just all kinds of indicators in Genesis 2 mm-hmm. that God is specially giving. So for the, for example, the fact that God gives a lot of commands to the man before he even makes the woman. And then it it appears from the conversation of the woman with the serpent before she sins, that she has received her instructions not from God himself, but from the man, right? There's also the place where the man has to begin to take dominion before the woman is even created. So God brings him all the animals to name. So he names all the animals. So he's already starting it. So God called a lot of things something in Genesis 1. Sorry. He
3: also says to before Adam sees and is naming all of them that that it was not good for Adam to be alone, and then he sees all these animals in pairs with each other, in these relationships and doesn't have a woman. And then it's after that that God brings him Eve too. And I think there's something to that okay. as well. He's doing this in nature in these other ways, but he realizes like he has this opportunity to recognize that he's missing the thing that he needs. Mm-hmm.
0: No, yeah, you you got him. Nick has no answer for that. <laughs> no, he, 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 can't, he can't figure it out.
1: I'm not opposing it. <laughs> I not that. Answer that.
3: I'm just supplementing it.
1: Yeah, that no, that's correct. But see, that, that's the thing. Like the, the point here is not to say the man is better than the woman, right? Genesis one says that both are created in the, in the image and likeness of God. And when God gives the creation mandate in Genesis one, there's no distinction between men and women. It, it says that He says it to them. Now, in Genesis 2, there's stuff that God says to the man before the creation of the woman, but it doesn't change what Genesis 1 says and means. It's, it still says that the men and women both bear the responsibility for the creation mandate. But Genesis 2 lays out the dynamic between the man and the woman in the way Genesis 1 does not. Right, And so you have to put the two together. And most people don't want to do that because they want the logic to be simple. They want to say, well, if men and women are equal, then they're interchangeable. Or if men and women are interchangeable, then they're not equal. And that logic is just foreign to the Bible. And it's partly foreign to the Bible because it was foreign to human beings until maybe the last 300 years. Nobody believed that if you go back more than 300 years. Because it's, it's silly. It, it's also, I mean, it's also, if you have to come to equality through a, the simplistic logic, which humans apparently needed, then it's helpful. But it's still false.
0: Okay, I want to go back for a second and ask Nicole and Jill a question. Because I think when younger women, especially now, I guess, right now it feels like a bunch of young people in Madison that I know are just like getting married. Which might be a great thing. Also might be an absolutely terrible thing. Um, Maybe a little bit of both. Yeah, maybe a lot of one thing and a little bit of another thing. Um, I, 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 I'm not gonna say whatever. Um, it's I think it's good. People are getting married, like that's cool. I just I don't think they're they know what they're getting themselves into. Whatever. Okay, that's not my question. My question is that. So, so you're a, a young woman listening to this, and you're like, okay. I'm supposed to submit to my husband or whatever, or or in in dating. This kind of has to do with dating as well. Like, you, and when you're dating, you you want to find a, a man that you are like willing to do that to submit to, I guess. Okay, and I I think a lot of women would be like a lot of men, not just in general, but men in the church are just garbage, and they don't. And I would never submit to them because they're going to take this, and they're just. So I think about my, my parents and I, I bring up my parents and whenever I bring up my parents on this podcast, it's usually negative. I'm like sure my they love it. Not, like, they're not the worst people ever. They're they're really great. But they, they had a lot of struggles and I get I like to use them for examples. My dad was just like again, he wasn't disciple by the church, nothing like that. He just di- he was like a major control freak. And he grew up in a household where his dad was a major alcoholic who was a very abusive. And so my dad tried his best. And he's very, very controlling, and people in the church are just telling my mom, "Well, you just got to be, you got to submit." And my mom is like, she does not submit to anybody. She's very, very fiery, Um, and so she would get bothered by that. And then it was more like my dad was steamrolling her and just basically running all over her. And then they went to marriage counseling for like ten years, and now they're better. But how do you? how do you do that? Because there's a bunch of young men. And I think when we talk about gender roles, we we often talk about, about women and how they should respond to gender roles. But I think that men suck, not in general, but they suck at these things at leading and they suck at leading women and they take advantage of women. And I'm saying this from experience because I've done it probably a billion times. And I, and it is hard for me to not want to just take advantage of, of women. Like, I'm just say it. And I don't know. And so from Nicole and Joe's perspective, how, how should, I guess, how should a woman respond to that? Because they're probably not wrong. If they have, if they have suspicion, they're like, well, why would I submit to these men who just are terrible?
3: So I'll let you go
2: first. Um, so, well, first of all, don't marry a terrible man, but like you said, why would I submit to these men that are terrible? So I don't know if you mean that after they're married. I guess that I'm going to. I think you just-
1: means that, like, in the process of, like, as the women are looking at the possible men they could marry, the pool of them doesn't exactly. feel encouraging. You're, I think you're saying, well, pick the best one.
2: <laughs> yeah. Are you. So I, My my question to you, Andy, is are you talking about in picking a spouse or are you talking about these young couples who have gotten married? and what how they should think about this now
0: well i think that i think both okay i, I you, you talk about whichever one you want but i think both i think a lot of people you know you date and everything's nice and dandy and then you get married and you're like oh crap this person is not that's like perfect as i thought that they were when we were dating because yeah. that's what dating is like
2: okay
0: um, unless you do the dating paradigm and then it's different
2: i will um i will address submission for women mm-hmm. so Submission will mean your perspective of submission will be really dependent on your experience, and so especially in your home, like Andy mentioned. So be aware of that. But submission will mean both more and less than you think it does. So submission probably doesn't look like all the little um, idiosyncrasies of how you've seen it um, done. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to look as expansive as like, so Andy was talking to talking about how, um, like people in the church would tell his mom to just submit those little circumstances, like what she may have been told to do might not even be submission. (laughs) It might be being steamrolled. So there, so knowing the difference between when you're submitting and when you're just being passive, those things are different things. Um, so you're not called to be passive. You're called to be submissive, which is actually an act of choice and of, of of power. You're, you're giving your authority to someone else in that moment on purpose. Um, So it means less because it means it might not look all these controlling ways that you think it does. It's actually probably more freeing than you think, but it also means more because it does mean giving up your authority in some moments. Um, that you do you do have authority as a person so it's not passivity but okay. it does mean giving up your authority intentionally out of love in moments to make a relationship flourish
0: yeah it does feel like when when you say when we read scripture and it says you need to submit it when i read that it does seem like and this is not like you said it's not what it's actually saying but it feels to me like it's saying you need to give up all authority to mm-hmm. this one person. And and I hear that even when I think about like submitting to authority in general, and it talks about submitting to like the authority in your life or the authority of the government. I always have a really hard time when I read that because I'm just like, mm-hmm. like, doesn't Paul know that if the authorities on this wor- world are so bad? Like, why would I ever give up mine? I, I feel like I could do better. And so, but uh, Nicole, did you want to answer that question as well
3: yeah i'll just add a couple of things to what jill just said i think it's important to remember that in a in a situation in which your husband is asking you to submit to his authority if he's making you choose between him and god mm-hmm. your choice is god
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: right so that's that's a, i think a very important because mm-hmm. i think that it does um It's not like submission is not just throwing your hands up and, and like you said, relinquishing every ounce of control in every situation. Um, Mm -hmm. So you need to be discerning for yourself is what my husband asking me to do. Is that going to um, compromise my relationship with the Lord? In that case, then the answer is, I'm sorry, but I cannot submit to you in this particular instance. Mm -hmm. However, I think you also have to be very careful with that because it's easy Mm -hmm. for us as people, I struggle with this a lot to turn non moral situations Mm -hmm. into moral situations where Mm -hmm. I could easily talk my way into saying, Nope, this is, this is asking me to not submit to God here when that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So I think you've got to be careful with that so that Mm -hmm. you don't twist the situation so that you can really just be in control in that mm-hmm. situation um yeah. i also think okay so going off of jill's what jill was saying like if we're going to talk in terms of a marriage that's already happening and um and even i'll be even more specific i guess it in in this part too let's say we're talking about two christians who are married to one another um I think it's important to recognize that submission happens also in the context of a man who is pursuing a relationship with God. And so that means that there have been times where I've had to say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you as Mm -hmm. you're leading Scott. Mm -hmm. Even if this particular thing doesn't make sense to me, some of submission for me is more of a question of whether or not I'm trusting God to also Mm -hmm. for me through my husband. And then also trusting that as much as I am choosing to submit to the authority of scripture in submitting to Scott, I'm also trusting that Scott is submitting to the authority of scripture in caring for me and in choosing to make sacrifices for me in choosing to try and do the thing that is going to present me as a spotless and blameless bride to Christ that like Scott's not trying to care for me just so that I can be happy and have a fun life like the decisions that 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 sometimes he's making that don't aren't like what i want he's doing for my good for my holiness for my sanctification and so in that marriage you have to see it as this dance that's happening between the spouses now that's that's not always happening but there are i think that it's important to say there are some women who are in healthy marriages that who just don't feel like giving up their control and they've got to surrender that and they've got to sort through that. Now mm-hmm. there are all sorts of terrible examples as well that we can talk more about, but I do think that there are plenty of marriages where like, they just don't feel like doing the, the thing that God has asked them to do. Like I, I still struggle with that and deal with that. Not always in this area, but sometimes in this area, sometimes in other areas where it's like, I don't want to like apologize to this person mm-hmm. and admit that I was wrong, but that's what Scripture's asking me to do. And so just because I don't, like I have to submit to that scripture first in a lot of areas of my life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, uh, a, I have five comments on that, that what they said. Go Kind of quick. Um, one, Jill Real said quick. your perspective is going to be based on your experience relative to submission and so on. And that is absolutely true. I mm-hmm. think one of the things Christians need to recognize is that your convictions don't need to be based on your experience they can be based on god's word and the truth and what's good and then you can spend time in your life trying to get your perspective and your convictions to work together with each other what jill said is submission is a choice is also a really important and the where we get that scripturally i think it's important to point out because the command that a wife submits to her husband is given to the wife so it says wives submit yourselves to the husbands as to the lord and in, within the Greco-Roman context under Potter Familius, it was the husband's job to make his wife submit. And that was one of his roles in Christian faith. It's not one of the man's roles. Does that make sense? So it's not a man's job to get his wife to submit to him forcibly by tr- like trying to get her to do it. Right. It's his job to attract her to it, mm-hmm. but not to force her to it. Mm-hmm. Um, It's important to recognize that if what the husband is supposed to be doing is to work for the sanctification of his wife, to prepare her as a spotless bride for her greater husband, Christ, that in doing so, his legitimacy is rooted in his godliness and his pursuit of his wife's godliness. And if he isn't doing that, it undermines his legitimacy. Um, So, my last comment is this um, When people asked John Adams, the president, the first second president of the United States, about the Constitution, they asked him about it. He said, Listen, our constitutional system, is designed for a religious and moral people or a religious and virtuous people. And it is wholly inadequate to governing any other. So he's saying if, if America is a country of people who are religious by nature and are moral by nature, then they can bear the weight of freedom and liberty. And we've set up a government that functions on the basis of liberty. And so they will flourish. But if they're not religious and moral and they're not high quality as individual people, then the system of government we've set up cannot govern them. it. Comp- it'll completely fail and it'll create tyranny and disgusting results. The idea of a husband's, a husband's leadership and a wife's submission is similar to that. It is it is a governance that is set up for people bearing the image of God in godliness. And where people are religious and moral, it is it creates beautiful results of liberty. And where they are not, it becomes a structure in which there is tyranny and harm and Injustice and all kinds of things, and so um, it's very easy to want to blame the structure that God set up. But God demands we be godly, mm-hmm. and when people are doing what Nicole said, when they're pursuing God first, and when they're growing in godliness, and when they're seeking to love the other, when they're seeking sacrifice for each other, this system is very beautiful and effective.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is so so? Can we break down what exactly then that that like healthy Marriage. I know Nicole kind of talked about it, and and what what is that? But what does that like healthy marriage look like? Like that? Like what, what is healthy submission? And we talked about it a little bit. What does healthy submission look like? What is a healthy marriage where both genders are playing their roles in a in a good way? I mean, not because I think when when you say that. When people think about this it's like women need to be quiet and men need to like step up and do their thing and that's not i don't think that's what you guys are saying at all um nicole's loud and scott isn't and they're married and they're believe in god so uh, clearly that doesn't seem to be that i mean my parents are that way too my mom's you know off the wall sometimes and my dad doesn't say anything and it's like what i think this also gets into yeah gender roles what are what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman that it, it doesn't mean you like shut up. So, so, so what is that? So what does it look like in like the perfect marriage or the the perfect genders in marriage? You know, what, what does that look like? And wh- we answer, whoever wants to answer, go, go ahead. That's not specific.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I have a similar thought to what I said before. So this is either because it's really in, early in the morning or it's, it actually is similar, but it does meet like gender roles and what it biblically look like looks like. I also think looks, more and less like we might think it does but biblically especially for women um as i as my husband and i have sorted out gender roles specifically in regards to work and kids um we've come back to like the priority for each gender and so for me as the wife my priority and the gender role i have been given because of how i made is to be um, a nurturer and a mother and like, a and a, to build my house in Proverbs, it talks about being a woman who builds her house and doesn't tear it down with her own hands. And I, um, so what that means for me is that my priority has to be my kids and family. I love working and I do work. Um, I love the local church. That's where I, that is where I work. So I, I have a lot of interests outside of my home, but proportionally, I have to be building my house, and I have to be um, primarily caring for my kids. And so for me, like that does break down in different ways for different people, it will look different for different people. But for me, that means that, like, I know that past like 25 hours, I'm consuming myself with work, like I, I can't stop myself. <laughs> um, and so I need, I need to stop myself so that my priority is with the things that I've been given to be my priority. Um, And I think that requires discernment. There's been moments where I've just been convicted, like I am now tearing down my house instead of building it up. And so it's not this hard line where someone has said, you can only do this much. It's, It's in my relationship with the Lord where he's convicting me of if I'm doing the thing that he created me to do primarily in my role.
3: Yeah, I've had Jill and I've talked about this before. I've I had a really similar experience, especially when um when Luca was born. And one of Scott's concerns in moving back to Madison and me working at High Point is he's like, I know that you're a workaholic, Mm -hmm. and I know that you're going to love working at High Point. And so I'm concerned that Mm -hmm. you're going to forego any other responsibility that you have. So that's a conversation he and I have continually come back to because he's right that that is my tendency. Um, And so when Luca was born, we got to a point where I, we both recognized this, but I think it was also like a personal conviction that God was giving to me that I think was important that I recognized it, not that God couldn't have done it another way, But that I just noticed I can't do this job and care for our home and have our home be a place that feels Mm -hmm. like a place of peace where we can invite people well, where people come into our house and feel rested and welcomed and that would like true for our family and for any guests we would have and so it had to something had to change and had and and I think too at this point I'm at a point where the the balance that I have between working and being home is good but I mean Nick mentioned this in our last episode that like the number of children and the number of other responsibilities that God gives you to steward is also going to change some of those things. Mm-hmm. I only have one child, and so until that changes, the level the balance that I have works great. Mm-hmm. but if we have more kids or if one of our parents mm-hmm. gets really ill and that becomes a responsibility that we have, this this balance might need to change and might need to shift. Mm-hmm. but I also want to add another thing to that that like Jill and and Jill and I've talked about this too, but like you talk, you brought up this idea of what are our roles for and what, and and Mm -hmm. like coming back to the, like the principle of what is it that God has given to each of us? What that does mean is that there are a whole bunch of things that fit into, I think that traditionalist bucket that are like cultural. Like for example, Mm -hmm. Scott and Mm -hmm. I, are wired so differently from one another. I was—I studied math. I think about things in systems. I think about the way structures work together. Like there, there was a time where our dishwasher broke, and under traditional views of men and women, that would be a, something for a husband to fix and not for a wife to fix. Scott doesn't think in systems like that. He didn't have um, parents who taught him like those sorts of. Um, those sorts of ways that, that things are built and put together. Whereas my dad was an engineer and he was teaching me algebra on a napkin when I was like in fourth grade. So.
0: That sounds terrible, Nicole. Oh, I
3: loved it though, but it was just like very different. So for me, I was like, we're not going to pay to have someone come and fix our dishwasher. I can fix it. Which, that's just, that's he didn't want to fix it he's like i'd rather pay someone I'm like well i can you pay me i'll take that money and i will do it and that's
0: it. exactly like what every guy that like my dad and everything like, we're not paying for that to to get fixed so i could fix it and, and then it like doesn't get fixed but <laughs> I I like, to say yeah,
1: that. I you joke about that but wait till you have a family and you're trying to make a budget work
0: Oh, sure. No, I'm all for that. If if you don't have to pay for it, don't freaking pay for it. That's just stupid. I mean, we should have Dave Ramsey on the show, right?
3: (laughs) So I think that it's easy to get. Another example is like cooking. I didn't – my mom Mm -hmm. could cook. My older siblings, like at least – my sisters did learn how to cook. I never did. And Scott loves cooking. I think it, it's like an opportunity for him to be creative, especially when like his job isn't as creative as he would like it to be, but he can do that through cooking. Now we do split that. And before quarantining, I was cooking more than he was just because of the amount of time I was at home and the amount of time he was working. But like, if we could choose he's well actually I think he would still choose that I cook more but like sometimes it just doesn't turn out that way like lately particularly he's been doing more of that and some of that is because I've been spending more time cleaning our house like it's just we have chosen these different things that we're still able to embody what we Mm -hmm. believe God has asked of us and called of us in our roles with one another but in a lot of ways that for us that has thrown out a bunch of the traditional things. It has also still embraced many of the traditional things too. But mm-hmm. I, I think that distinction is important because I think like Jill mm-hmm. said, it means more and less. And like, mm-hmm. it's important to know what is, what does scripture say? And then where is there opportunity of freedom? I have basically, to, yeah. I, know, a,
1: I, think it, I think it's important to recognize. I think and this is what Nicole is getting at is when it comes to who does X, Mm-hmm. cooking, taking out the trash, fixing the blah, blah, blah. Scripture says almost nothing. Mm-hmm.
0: Almost, Yeah, nothing. that's what I was going to say. The scripture doesn't say anything about who has to like cook the food and right. fix the dishwasher, right? right?
1: Nothing, right. right. Yeah. All it says is you're taking dominion over the earth and filling it. Mm-hmm. God wants godly offspring. Mm-hmm. Marriage is lasting. Men and women are in a re- relationship of responsibility and help an aid and there it is and you need to be godly mm-hmm. and yeah and, and then after that like it's really wide open so if anybody tells you well wives do this and husbands do this merely dogmatically mm-hmm. it's almost for sure that's not lit in the bible mm-hmm. and the scripture could have easily said those things but it, it just doesn't
3: and i think there are things that like Because of both like the way that God has wired us and the way that men and women function, there are things that it's natural that we would think they fit into those ways. Mm -hmm. And and in some of those things, we should embrace them. Like Jill and I were talking about wanting to embrace building our home instead of tearing it down. Like, I think that some of those things you can derive from scripture, but there are other things that are just like a cultural tradition that Mm -hmm. I think we need to be careful about.
0: And those are like, for some reason, those things have been like lumped into Christianity and like how we think, because I feel like what Christians have done is as the culture moves more progressive and like maybe fe- feministic when, when thinking about gender roles, Christians have just been like, oh, that's bad. We need to take the exact opposite side of that and push that really far, which would be traditionalism. Is basically the exact opposite of feminism, and then, then you then you just get basically the opposite, terrible thing. So I, well, I, I mean, don't
1: well, p- part of this has to do with the development of culture after industrialization, because for most of the history of the world, men and women both had to work to survive, and then this really weird thing happened where we became so productive during industrialization that only one person had to work in order for a family to do well, mm-hmm. and so. Part, part of being wealthy was women didn't have to work. And that sounded like a great idea. And um, things have changed since then. Mm-hmm. Um, the level of wealth we've grown accustomed to, which we don't need, but that we've grown accustomed to, now requires for most families for both people to work. And they, they're they not going to give up that wealth. And so it forces us into an economic position um, that we might not otherwise be in. But for most of the history of the world, men and women both worked. They just both worked. usually near the home or at the home, Mm -hmm. but even then, like a lot of times men would have to labor somewhere else too, in order to create, gain additional income, you know? But the thing is, is that, is that in, in those times, nobody had the leisure to pick, to do what they wanted. Mm -hmm. And so men worked themselves to death and women worked themselves to death. And in doing so, they tried to love one another. And so defining roles, I mean, that, that would feel like well, the first time I heard somebody g- like going out and buying a $5 cup of coffee, and I was just kind of like, uh, like in what world does that level of superfluous and wealth make any sense? But that's what most humans in the history of the world would have thought, just that we're even having this discussion. They're like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you wake up and you have to survive. Yeah. So both yeah. people work as hard as they can. And yeah, women do more with the children. Because every two years you were having another child and so the woman was nursing her whole life basically i mean either pregnant or nursing her like for 20 years of her life right so like now we we have like two kids and then and we make parenting like a misery for women and men by being incredibly child centered in a way that's unhelpful for children and very destructive to marriages and then we wonder why women hate it and men hate it and then you get a whole generation of younger people who grow up and they don't want anything to do with children don't want anything to do with marriage it's because we've made a monstrosity of it, not because God's plan for it wasn't gorgeous.
2: Yeah, I, I think we don't have to get into parenting right now, but I do want to push back a little more on the concept of, like, gender roles are really, um, like, open, if there's a lot of freedom in that, because there is.
1: Mm-hmm. However... Formally speaking.
2: Formally but speaking. Nat-
1: but not naturally speaking.
2: Right. right. But also um in our culture we do not value children and so as a woman you you can't hear you do have the freedom to work because you do you do have the freedom to work um and the Proverbs 31 woman I know she she there's a lot of like baggage with her sometimes in the church but she worked she was like an awesome woman who like kicked butt in the workplace and business world but she did not neglect her children either that's in there as well and so be careful hearing as a woman, I have freedom in my gender roles. I don't have to be at home. Don't neglect your children. Um, they need you. <laughs> so don't take that. And that. that is my, like, I want to divert myself with work because mm-hmm. it's more fun. It's more productive. It feels more productive. But the work that I have that God has for me is in my home, in like raising my kids and teaching them and showing them that I love them. And that's work too. And so I think as women, we've taken that and not seen it as work. Um, right. and God calls us to work and we've said, I want to work somewhere else. So right. be careful with that.
1: Yeah. The distinction between work and employment right. are different. For employment me. is when like you, you work for in a commerce, in the realm of commerce and you exchange freely for your labor or products. Work is just, you're doing something fruitful. Right, I think one of the mo- one of the most disgusting things that's happened in the last maybe 200 years, but really just in the last hundred years, is the idea that we would transfer the needs of children to the state and away from women.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That move, I think, has destroyed the lives of many, many, many women and kids. <laughs> I'm getting there. Oh, yeah. Okay. It, it it is destroying the state. Yeah. Because it will make the state go bankrupt, and ultimately, because. Mm-hmm. Nobody is as economically efficient as a mother in loving her own children that she's nat- has natural affection for, and it has destroyed the lives of countless children. And I, I think that um, I think that the state telling women that the primary responsibility for the nurturing of their children, especially in the tender years, is just it's it, it's just one of many possible things that you could do, is poison. I think it's, and God is very interested in the rights of the weaker person in the face of the person with responsibility. So, God is in the face of men when it comes to their mistreatment of women. But when he turns to women and men in relationship to children, he is on the side of children because they are the ones who get neglected. And children have the right to live in close proximity to both their parents, they have the right to the nurture that they require. And we have, we have, The injustice that we have given towards children probably dwarfs the injustices we care about in this country Mm -hmm. and very little people pay attention to that. And and, and if you, as one of the things I found that for younger, for younger people, this is true for me as a Gen Xer. When I got my view of children and nature straight, it helped me with all my screwed up philosophical views of how things quote ought to be. Mm -hmm. And until you do that workout, it's very difficult unless you do it just on straight conviction based on interpreting scripture. But your heart won't go along with it until you see why it's good.
2: Yeah. Which it is why these
1: other things are important.
2: It clarifies your responsibilities as well. Like it's mm. instead of making it, I can do anything. What do I pick? It does clarify what comes before what and what you should then do. Why yeah. you make choices?
3: I don't disagree with these things, but I think that it's like, this is a very, um, middle to upper, upper middle-class discussion on, yeah. on these things. And like the, I mean, Nick, you mentioned this before, like it, it, we have not always had the luxury of being able to choose what our right. roles are. It's culturally and with different advances in technology and in work that gives it, gives us that opportunity, but there are plenty of people even still who still don't have the luxury of choosing as a woman, whether or not they can work.
1: yeah i was gonna bring that up nicole Uh, okay wait before we go too far on that though yes but this is partly because godless upper class fake bourgeois values have been inflicted on the poor yeah primarily through academics in america and media people such that the poor have destroyed them are destroying themselves by receiving this nonsense from upper middle class and middle class bourgeois people like the people who the most need to have strong families And stable marriages and need to wait till they are married to have sex. And like all those things that are built into proper gender roles and marriage are the most fundamental. The poverty rate in America for a married couple is vanishingly small. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Almost everybody who's poor in America is a single parent family. And it's partly because we don't extend anymore these values of sexuality and gender role and marriage and its stability all the way down into before marriage, it used to be in this country in America that the poor were more reliable and responsibly in, in the 1950s. If you were a black child, you are more likely to be born into a two parent family than if you were a white child, even under Jim Crow and segregation and lynching and racism and all of that. If you were a black child, you had a, you had a higher percentage chance to be born into a two parent family with a mother and a father and in relative proximity to extended family. So even within poorer contexts, where there wasn't a lot of financial capital, like liquid capital, there was an enormous amount of social and human capital in the family and in the extended family. Mm -hmm. And so you are right in that people have to work now in a way they didn't. And people like single mothers in particular Mm -hmm. are in some ways dominated by work in their need to provide for the family. That's true. Mm -hmm. But I would also argue that There has been an enormous degradation of the poor and the lower middle class in this country because the values we're talking about that are rooted in Christian theology have been humiliated by the upper class bourgeois godless and worldly scholarly and media class. And it's been inflicted on the poor and they have not been able to push it back. And it's been harming them incredibly Mm -hmm. for a 100 years. At least,
3: yeah, and I think the the that like especially when you're talking about human capital, social capital that that I think is really important to the conversation because like I see that you can see that in a lot of different examples, you know, personally have examples of that in your own family. Like that's true for us, we have family who helped take care of Luca and I'm thinking of Mm -hmm. my family in Mexico in particular, where they're like, Mm -hmm. aunts and uncles helped raise all of the children lived on the same block, sometimes literally next door Mm -hmm. to another. And so I I do think that's important, but I just, I think that things that all of us have said, it's worth like myself included. It's worth clarifying that like, there are always exceptions when you have conversations generally about normative things and it's, and sometimes it's hard mm-hmm. to recognize that sometimes we think of ourselves too frequently as the exception. Sometimes we don't recognize that we're an exception, but some mm-hmm. of these things that we have said could feel really damning to somebody who genuinely doesn't have another option. Mm-hmm. And, and I just right. think that it's worth saying that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, if you're
1: a single woman and you have kids like building up your household looks like going to work.
3: Right.
2: Yeah. Probably.
1: You know, so yeah, it is relative to your situation in certain ways for sure.
2: And that is why it's really important to know like it might, it won't look the same, but your, the purpose in your gender is still like, is to build your household, is to um, nurture your kids. So it will look different depending on your life circumstance, but in honoring God in that he will, he will, he's with you and he will bless you in that when you're faithful in your circumstance yeah so in my comment before about women choosing work that was to women who are choosing work um too. like be careful be careful in your priority and your choice um so it, it does get back to priority and purpose like what has god made you to do and how can you best fulfill that in your life circumstance
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean a
3: really drastic change like it could when you choose not to live in the home you're living in and you go somewhere right. more affordable so that you can yeah, right. different things.
0: Yeah. That's what I was going to bring up. And, and we don't have much time. So I was just going to bring this up because I know Nicole just talked about it and it like was like in my head. I, I think, I think a lot of like parents and maybe not where we live because Madison's pretty, yeah. Like upper middle class. There's it, not a lot of people like really struggling. But I remember growing up, like, my, my, like, we didn't have, like, any money. And my parents had, you know, three kids. And my mom had to go to work full time. And so did my dad. And while they were at work, you know, my brother would watch us, which was, I mean, he didn't, he didn't watch us. He didn't do, he literally would just lock me out of the house. (laughs) That's him watching. And my parents would, would pay him money to do that crap, which is just a bunch of garbage. But they, they had to go to work. And while they're at work, basically, we were kind of, you know, f- fend for yourself. And that's when I got into some things that were just really bad. I got into like you know porn and started talking to girls a lot and started, you know, hanging out with some of, the, some of the wrong crowds. And I think that's where I, if somebody were listening to this that didn't have like that doesn't have like the luxury of just picking if they want to work or not, which you kind of just said that it can be hard because my parents didn't have that. And as a result of that, all three of their kids have gotten into some really stupid things. Now, obviously we've, we've come back from that and like, but not, that doesn't happen all the time. And I think like, it it is good to prioritize, but if, if they didn't, if they didn't go to work full time, we like wouldn't have eaten or like, I don't know. Like there were some times where we like just didn't have a lot of food or, or barely any food. And it was just like, Uh, How do you how do you I know we we don't have a lot of time, but how do you balance that with also doing the role of, you know, especially if a mother has to go to work full time, Mm -hmm. also being nurturing and then a father gets home from work? He's stressed out, whatever. It it just caused so much stress in the family that I felt like the last thing that my parents were really thinking about. I don't know what that was. I just like choked. Um, (laughs) The last thing my, my parents were really thinking about coming home from from work every night was like. We need to like make sure like Andy's not watching porn. Like they they like didn't want to think about that. And I know I made it harder on him because that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. what do you what do parents even do about that? Yeah. I, I, yeah. That seems so, like a tough situation.
1: So before you two you two answered, ladies, I just want to clarify that Andy knows that there are a lot of people in Dane County that are struggling. I think oh, percentage wise, yeah. like in Dane County, it's a pretty wealthy county, and okay. there's a lot of professionals here. I grew up
0: in Dane County. so And so the
1: the normative person in Dane County, the average person is a professional and decently educated and and does fit what he's saying. But still two people work in order to provide for themselves the Dane County
0: lifestyle. Right. Right. Right.
3: Yeah. There was an article that went around um, in the past six months. I think it was on Medium. Um, I can't remember, but it was talking about the... um, the collapse of the extended family and the rise of the nuclear family. And I think that, um, that 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 is kind of getting to some of these things. And Nick, you brought up social um, and human capital. Social capital. Yeah. I think that's a big part of this conversation where, like, I did not ever expect to live in the same city as most of my family. And I do. And in this process, there's a lot that I have learned about social capital that now – my family we have this because of the three children or of the four children that my family has three of us live here with our spouses with our children and my parents and i see this in other cultures that do revolve more around the extended family rather than the nuclear family where they do live mm-hmm. one another mm-hmm. I think that some of these issues get sorted out because generations pitch in different families pitch in. Like I have an aunt in Mexico who never married. And so she did not have children, but she was very much a mother to my cousins who were growing up there. Um, I think that there are ways that for those who don't live in that proximity to their family, who don't have that social capital, where the church can function in that way and yeah. people who have broken families and who don't have good relationships with their extended family. I think the church can and should function in that way. So even like, even for me, who I have so much of that at my fingertips here in Madison, I've had people from high point who have offered to help with things like mm-hmm. childcare, who like when we had flooding in our basement, Nick, you and the flots were over like early in the, mo- like in the middle of the night. I don't remember when it was, but like, mm-hmm. It was dark out, helping us. It was.
1: It was at an inconvenient time.
3: At an inconvenient time, helping us get water out of our basement. I think that there's a there are a lot of ways that the church can function in supporting these sorts of families who need that, who don't have the social capital or who don't have the financial capital to do these things. That we there are some ways that the church. I think is doing it already, and I think there are lots of ways that we can gain a more communal mindset rather than an individual mindset to do more of this as the church.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think one of the things you're getting at is that the average person used to have an extended family, a neighborhood.
3: Yeah, with
1: agreed upon values and in interrelationships, in inter- relationships, right? And um, voluntary associations that were part of like churches or or other ones, right? And the average American person now has none of those.
3: Yeah,
1: And then we wonder why women and men feel like family is so hard. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: And like- then they move away from their family and, and their kids move away from them because everything is so hard and it sucks so bad. You don't want to be around that dysfunction. That's Our whole family is just spread all over the country because everybody has that viewpoint. I hate it. I hate right. that. Nobody wants to be together.
1: Yeah, and and that like that that's people people think of capital as liquid capital like money, and it turns out that wealth is in a lot of different forms. And most of your wealth, something like eighty percent of your wealth, by the estimate of most of the economists that have done this, is in your human and social capital. Who do you know, and what can you do? That's like eighty percent of your capital. And so when you realize that, you're like, oh crap. The main most important thing in my life is what am I able to do? Am I the kind of person who can do stuff? And secondly. Who is part of my circle that I can count on and that counts on me where we are living our lives together and so mutually encouraging, strengthening, and laboring for each other? And, and, and in doing so, you, you create an economy of, of social relationships, which is how people survived. I mean, you just listen to people who like their families came apart. They went to a neighbor's house. Like there were, there were times when we all parented each other's kids in smaller towns because everybody shared the same basic values. You can't assume that now. You can't assume that, like, if some kid is misbehaving at the park and you, like, yell at them, be like, hey, what do you you think you're doing? Like, you can't be sure you're not, the police aren't going to get called on you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid, which was not that long ago, 30 years ago, like, an adult, any adult could yell at me at any time. And they knew my mom and dad. And so I didn't have to be watched that closely because there were always eyes afoot that could deal with me. And when those things go away, we, we sometimes think that we're going to be so wealthy and have so much technology that we can have government institutions and we can pay for stuff that's going to make up for all this, and you can't. And it leads to human misery. And, when, and people are miserable, and they don't know why they're miserable. And so the woman looks across the table at her husband and feels resentment towards him. And he looks across the table at her And feels resentment towards her. And then he looks at his children and he feels resentment towards them. And he has no idea that it is the breakdown of the wider circles of blessing that God has created for human society that they have rejected, not realizing it, that is fed incredibly into their misery. And stolen from their blessing.
0: That's good. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Good. Boom. I think that's good. Um, did you guys, I think that's that's basically it, right? I mean, did you guys have anything else you wanted to say? I know it's like 7.30 a.m. It's early. It's early, ladies and gentlemen. We, we we love the people, so we get up early.
3: Just how much this podcast enterprise means to you, Andy, that you got up at 6 a.m.
0: I got up at 5.45, and I was like, well, I went to bed at like 1.00 and i was like dude what are you doing man you got to get your crap together your life is a mess
1: yeah. if if anybody wants to know the um the 11 um things in genesis 2 and 3 that that designate the relationship between men and women so, so, i can email it to them just email the podcast and i can pass that along yes um, i th- i think i think the bottom line it's in two two things that are important is y- you have to understand the nature of human beings before you think ideologically what ought to be the case if you're the kind of person who thinks what ought to be before you look at what is, you will create injustice, not justice. And so scripture starts with what men and women are and what men and women are actually called to do. And then it talks about how we should organize ourselves justly. And if you get that order wrong, you cannot produce a just and loving and helpful dynamic in your relationship. I think that's important to know. Secondly, it's important to know the Bible does not tell you exactly what to do as men and women. Um, it functions, formally, it's, it's really open and you have to decide for yourself. But thirdly, it does talk about a relationship, a dynamic of leadership and submission between husbands and wives. And that fourthly, that governance of ourselves only works in the context of increasing godliness in both the man and the woman. Or it does not work. If you're not going to follow God, you might as well not follow this, and any man who thinks that he can expect his wife to submit to him when he does not submit to God is is foolish and is going to create strife and is going to create harm and so as a man if if you especially if you believe these things, you have to pursue godliness as much as possible um because it's the only context in which this can work and flourish,
0: yeah, yeah, that makes sense. nothing else. Jill, Nicole, you guys are good.
2: I have a lot of other thoughts but not time. <laughs> so. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um okay, yeah, we'll just end this one then uh on that. So, that was uh that was marriage and gender roles. It was good. I liked it. I learned a lot i you blew my mind at one point nick when you t- started talking about the the reversing of of the women's role in genesis 2 i i, I about pooped myself yeah so.
3: thing that happened was very entertaining
0: i like was like, oh, Dude, I
3: Dude.
0: For, like the last year i've wondered why vince said that to me um okay that's that's unrelated okay yeah, yeah i
1: mean like I, I, yeah like i I I want, listen, I want us to be able to say like, look, lots of views are possible and all this kind of thing. Listen, I was raised by a a very domineering mother and a very stonewalling and I'll just leave if you're going to yell at me, dad. And I was raised in a feminist generation. I was born in 1977. Okay. So like feminism had already won and it was in the air. Everybody breathed. I grew up a feminist. Like, And as I'm a man, I don't want to take responsibility for my family and I want to use women however I want to use them, which feminism works great for because it makes women responsible for everything. And men can basically do what they want as long as you can get women to do it because women are these volitional creatures who are in control of themselves and they don't need men, right? So like both for fleshly reasons and for noble reasons, I wanted to be a feminist in certain ways. I just was over time persuaded it was wrong. I, di- I didn't do it because I wanted it as a man. The last thing I want is all of the responsibility that comes from believing in complementarity. I would have loved to have advocated all this responsibility, yeah. but I can't. And so I, I know there's women who think like, I, well, Nick believes this because he's a man. And he, blah, blah, blah.
0: That's not true. It would be so much better to be able to use. Okay, this is going to sound bad. It would be so much better for men to be able to use women right not have to take the responsibility it would feel better it wouldn't be better I cannot
1: tell you how many young women I've talked to who found a nice feminist guy thinking that they would be good men and found that they were horrible you like it's not like you're you're, like you find think somebody of the other ideology is going to treat you right it's I'm not saying they won't it's just like don't think it correlates like it's not that feminism doesn't make better men men are men And I think that it can in some ways, but I think like if somebody's a traditionalist, like an ugly kind of traditionalist and they become a feminist, I think it really can improve them. But I think that the Christian view of what men and women are, how we're meant to come together in complementarity is the most holistic way in which men and women can be improved in the image of God and live in complementary flourishing with each other. So I think there are insights. There's absolutely insights in Feminism. Some people won't like this. There's huge insights in traditionalism. And our job is to be a slave to neither
3: mm-hmm.
1: and as openness as possible within theological complementarity as a conviction to determine how those insights work together and how we we'll choose to live, taking responsibility for our lives under Christ.
3: Yeah. I mean, you like you said this, I think earlier, Nick, that you can subscribe to any one of these ideologies, and be a jerk and a terrible human being and treat Mm -hmm. a better person in your life terribly. And that, like, at that point, who cares whether you're a traditionalist or a feminist, like you're, if you are, if you are in some way, belonging that other person like that. I mean, we've seen this in all of these in the movement and understanding and unearthing of all the abuse that has happened to women in sexual assault and sexual abuse. This is happening across the board. This is happening in fundamentalist views and ideologies. This is happening in feminist and egalitarian churches. This is happening in Hollywood. That is a, is a place that should be like, if you think about it, culturally very in favor of women and their equality. I mean, it's just all over the board. It doesn't really like, Mm -hmm. You can say what you want about what you believe, and still, not submit to the authority of God, and so, the, yeah, you can just you can find that yeah. everywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's good to also right. Yeah, I, we're right. We're basically done. But I think if you didn't listen to the last section of the the podcast on ch- church gender roles, where Nick basically just talked about like. You don't have to like it, but you should listen to it. I think that's that that definitely applies even more so in marriage. Not not doesn't apply more so in marriage, but more people are going to get married. And I brought this up in the last one and, and Nick was like, "No, people need to know that about the church too." I get that. But marriage seems to be a much more pressing issue in our mm-hmm. culture. And so, just cuz you don't like it doesn't mean that it's not true. And I think that that's that's good to think about. Um so yeah. yeah. Other than that, I and think. I, let me yeah. see. Last sentence. Yeah.
1: I, I've been doing this for more than twenty years. I see. I constantly see, when both people are seeking the Lord, th- this dynamic: I, women flourish, and children flourish, and families flourish, and men flourish. It's yeah. Everybody flourishes, and in other roles, I in other dynamics that reject complementarity. I don't mean that that function in a more egalitarian way i I see lots of families flourishing like that, but when this dynamic, but how men and women are bound together in their complementarity, in their difference, when that is received and embraced on the foundational level, and then you build a system on top of that, based on choice and responsibility between you as a man and a woman seeking God, you flourish. And when you don't do that, it's just too easy to corrupt ourselves.
0: Yeah a run on sentence um but, but it works uh so i'm gonna try to close this out for the 12th time uh so so anyways jill left the the conversation um but i'm gonna just say thanks nicole thanks jill for for coming on and doing these last two pods it was, it was cool um thank you guys for doing that and and then nicole you can pretend to be jill and say thank you oh
3: thank you and thank you
0: yeah yeah, no, great. Okay, yeah, no problem. Um, So we'll be back like next week with a podcast on the charismatic church with, with Tom Flaherty. So you're not going to want to miss that. That's going to be a really good one. Um, so can not wait? In now. What?
3: You've got the family in now.
0: Yeah. The blowing up. Um, Anyways, so yeah, that's about it. So thank you guys for listening. We'll see you guys in the next one.